Hey, good morning, everybody. So good to see all of you here. Uh, This morning, again, I want to extend a special welcome to any of you that are new and joining us. It's good to see new faces uh, out there, and I pray that you are enjoying your summer and coming up. Can you believe it's almost the 4th of July already? Summer is just flying by, and maybe I'm not the only one that, that feels that, but doesn't it feel sometimes like summer is supposed to be like rest and relaxation? Summer's go, 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 go right? Do, 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 do. There's a lot of things that we need to do and get done, and pretty soon you look up and summer's gone, which is tricky because I think God's challenge us uh, to us this morning is to kind of look at how our summer's going and maybe just to slow down for a little bit and say, huh, you know, I was created to be a human being, not a human doing, right? And so my challenge to you this morning is how much being have you done this summer? Have you taken time to just be with God and and maybe in the midst of all your busy weekends and all your trips and travels and events and parties and everything like that, my challenge to you this week is to slow down and ask God, what are your priorities for my summer? Have have you done that? Have you you asked him that? Or are you just kind of putting the blinders on and just plowing through your summer and saying, I got all these projects I got to get done? Do you? Did, did, did God ask you to burn yourself out, or is that just kind of your normal you know, rhythm to life? So I just want to challenge you with that this morning. This summer, we've been going through this sermon series that is tackling questions just like that, questions about our faith, the, the big questions of life, which is interesting because uh, a lot of times, as we, as we go through this series called Since You Asked, some of you might be thinking, well, that's weird because we don't really like questions in the church, do we? A lot of times we think church and, and doubts or fears or questions are like opposite of each other. You might think, oh man, what if, the, what if the pastor found out I have doubts about my faith? What if my small group found out that I, that I have all these questions about Christianity and, and who Jesus is? That would be terrible. But I'm here today to remind you and to challenge you to think, what's the opposite of, of faith? Is it doubt? I believe the opposite of faith is unbelief. The opposite of belief is, is, is unbelief. It's not, it's not doubt. Jesus' own disciples doubted. Even when Jesus was giving that great commission, and they're standing there in Matthew 28, Jesus just came back from the dead. Some of his disciples, it literally says in the scripture, some still doubted. The literal Greek translation is, eh. <laughs> and sometimes we have those days too. Sometimes we have those days. And I want to challenge you to think that maybe your question's are more than appropriate. In fact, they're welcome. That's how we grow in our faith. And multiple times throughout Scripture, Jesus says these words. He says, come follow me. He says, come and see. Just as you are. I accept you just as you are, but I want you to come and experience something deeper. Come and see. And that's Jesus' offer to you today, no matter if you're brand new, if you're just starting off in this whole Christian walk, this journey, or maybe if you've been on that journey for a long time and you need a little kickstart today in your faith, Or maybe you're saying today, which is going to frame up our question of the day, how is it that I really grow in my faith? You might be sitting there going, I I looked at the question that was up on the screen. Have I grown in my faith the last week or or month or year? And you're sitting there going, well, I don't really know. How would I know? What, What would that look like? And maybe some of you are asking that question today to help kind of give us a, a picture of this from the, from the prop room. Bring out the whiteboard. For some of you, I think if we, if we look at our lives, maybe over the last month or over the last year, over the last five years, 
A lot of us think that this is what the Christian journey should look like. Somewhere along the line, I met Jesus and had a great experience. And we think that our Christian journeys look like that. No mistakes, no hookups. I'm growing every single day. I always feel passionate. I want to get up at 5 o'clock every day and read scripture. I'm so excited about Jesus. I've never sinned. Everything's perfect. Anyone? Okay? A lot of times that's how we think it should be. But I think if we're more honest, and I think if you're something like me, your journey looks something like this. Yay, I met Jesus. Anybody? Does that resonate with you? If you don't have your hand up right now, you're lying and you're in church, so don't do that, okay? That's what all of us, our faith journey looks like. Do you ever have those moments where you feel like you took two step, or one step forward and two steps back in your faith? I thought I was growing. I thought I was making progress in that relationship. I thought I was growing in prayer. I thought I was developing a, a, a reading scripture and things like that. But then it got all out of whack. Something happened in my life and I went all the way backwards. I think if we're honest, it looks something like that. And if you think about the Christian journey as kind of like if you've ever gone for a long hike or something like that, at some point in our lives we encounter Jesus and just as in a mountain, we, we have those high experiences. We're really excited about our faith at the beginning. But then maybe we go through some struggles and we're like, what's that all about? And then maybe you go to a concert or you go on a mission trip or you hear a really good sermon. And you're like, man, I feel connected to God. I'm having a mountaintop experience. And then real life sets in and you get busy and you get distracted. And then you're kind of down in the valley. And maybe for some of you are thinking, I feel so disconnected from God. I'm kind of down in the dumps these days. And then something else happens and you come way up and for some of you, it just kind of flatlines and plateaus. And my question is, since we're always moving, we're always growing, where are you at today? Where are you at today? Are you just starting out? Are you on the mountaintop? Because there's nowhere else I'd rather be than Hope Des Moines. I'm so excited. Or if you're honest, are you down here? Where, where are you at in relation to God today? I think for a lot of us, we're kind of like the disciples were after Jesus came back from the dead. Eh. I know it, but I'm not really sure it's taken shape in here. And a lot of you are sitting right here, and you've been that way for some time. And so right after the question is asked, where are you? The, the logical next question is, well, how do I move? How do I grow? One of our values at Lutheran Church of Hope is that Christianity is a growing experience. Everybody say growing. growing. It's a growing experience. I mean, we never stop moving. If you're, if you're here, you don't stop. If you're here, you don't stop. If you're way down here, you don't stop. And especially if you're plateaued, you don't stop. We never graduate from Christianity. And for some of you, you're saying, man, I, I've never even thought about that question before. Because the problem is, a lot of us never ask the question, how do I grow? Because for us, our, our image of Christianity is there's no such thing. It's just be a good person, show up at church to kind of do my tradition once in a while. Nothing too crazy, pretty safe, just let me do my thing. But don't push me to do anything. Because it's still my life. And we live our lives very small. And I was thinking about how to illustrate it this week. Does anybody have one of these at home? Maybe not a Starbucks one, but does anybody have a snow globe? Am I the only one that's ever seen? Okay, a few of you. Good. Just humor me a little bit. Okay, good. I, I grew up with one of these, and I think they're really cool. They're really fun uh, little toys. And my mom had a few different ones, and she gave me one for Christmas one year, and I always wanted to break it open and just see what would happen. But 
Let's try it. No. Um, and so I had one growing up that was actually a manger scene, and, and Mary and Joseph went there, and I just love, you know, as a little kid, you just shake it, and then it's like, ah, it's a blizzard, it's awesome. I had a weird childhood. Um, and so I was looking at Mary and Joseph in there, and I think the baby was in there somewhere, and I love the toy except for the fact that they're kind of stuck. It's kind of a small world to live in, and it's got a glass ceiling, and, and I kept thinking, you know, for Mary and Joseph, man, there's got to be more than life than that, don't you think? I just wanted to tell them, Guys, guys, there's more to Christmas than bubbles and snow, right? You got to get out and, and experience it a little bit. There's more to life than the glass ceiling, than the box that you've put around yourselves. And I think if we're not careful, this is how a lot of us view Christianity. Eh, this is about all there is to know about God. And I'm going to just safe, stay in my safe, little, polite, comfortable, little globe. I'm just kind of stuck with this false ceiling. And that's about how we live our lives. Because the question, how do I grow, is based on the assumption that maybe, for some of us, there's nothing more to Christianity than just a once-a-week church service, or a religion, or just filling in the blanks of one more Bible study. That maybe... There's more beyond the small glass enclosure that we put around us when we're essentially saying, God, that's where you belong, in a box, in a way that I can control you and figure you out. And today, the good news is that there is so much more. And instead of painting a picture of some dry, stagnant, stuck-in-a-snow-globe kind of faith, I want to paint a picture for you of a Christianity that's, that's vibrant and strong and growing and passionate, something that we were created for, full of joy and adventure. And while it might not always be easy, it's the experience of a lifetime. What if instead of a small view of spiritual growth, God wanted to open our eyes to take a glimpse of something much bigger? What if instead of playing it safe in our Christian lives, God's saying, it's time to take a leap of faith. And because this growth happens inside, it's hard for me to describe it with words. You kind of have to see it with your eyes. And to illustrate that, I'm going to use a, a clip here coming up from our friends who call themselves base jumpers. And if you've ever seen this before, these are real people jumping out of planes, jumping off 100-foot cliffs, and literally flying. You should try it sometime. It'd be fun. As you watch this video, don't think about that. Think about, what would it look like in my faith? What would it look like if there was an explosion of faith in my heart that made me feel this exhilarated? Let's take a look. All right, who's with me? All right, cool. When you watch that, doesn't something... I, I, I mean, it's not even about skydiving. Doesn't something in your soul go... Maybe scary, but <sighs> when we think about our faith, if we limit Christianity to an hour a week or my nice little safe Bible study where I fill in the blanks or trying to be a good religious person, if that's what it is for you, to me, that's like telling a base jumper to live their life in a snow globe. And saying, have fun. Go crazy. And they would say, what? You got to be kidding me. If you stick me in there, you know what I'm going to say to you? There is 
so much more. I can see it. I can look out. I've experienced so much more. And yet you're telling me that's all there is? Don't hem me in, right? And I think that's what Jesus wants to say to us today. It's time to see a bigger picture. It's time to take a leap of faith and experience Christianity for what Jesus meant it to be. And to do that, we need to do a little exploring, to get out of our little snow globes and experience something different. So if you can, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, which is our scripture reading for today. Maybe some of you were there uh, that was just read for us. So we're asking this question, how do I grow in my faith? How do I bust out of this glass ceiling that I put myself in sometimes and experience something like that? This question is based on the assumption that there's somebody we actually become in our faith. So Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to start at verse 11. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, is speaking to the church in Colossae, uh, to the Colossians, and he's encouraging them uh, and teaching them how to be a great church. And so if if you're there, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, say, I'm there. All right, verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles... The prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Verse 12, to equip his people, that's all of us, for works of service, which a lot of you did yesterday, so that the body of Christ may be built up, verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become what? Mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So if you look closely, Paul's not beating around the bush. He's coming right out and saying, what is the goal of our faith? What is the goal of everything we do here on the weekends? Everything we do during the week? All the gatherings, all the Bible studies, all the small groups, all the service groups. What is the goal? Becoming mature. Not staying where we're at, wherever you are, but becoming mature. Moving forward. I'm following Jesus. A.K.A. we're attaining to the measure of the fullness of Christ. He even says, what what is maturity? What does that look like? It means that we become people who are increasingly thinking, feeling, and acting more like Jesus. There's two words to describe that. One, we grow in the character of Christ. And secondly, we grow in the competency of Christ. We become the kind of person he is in order to do the kind of things Jesus did, to become like Jesus him. Not only as individuals, right, but as the church, as a community. What did you, what did you see in, in, the, in the video? Was it just one person there at the end jumping together? No, it was a whole bunch of people, right? Like all of us could just go jump out of a plane. They must have taken out a 747 or something like that. I don't know. But I love they all jumped out and they're all connected. And that's what Paul is saying here. If we're going to take this leap of faith together, if we're going to put the elementary teachings behind us and move forward into maturity in our faith, you're going to need each other. Christianity is not a, an individual sport. It's not golf, which is very saddening to me. But that's not a good illustration of Christianity. It's like football or basketball or hockey, any other team sport. We need each other to take that leap of faith. And so Paul says, until we, some of us reach maturity, until we all reach maturity. And so there's three key things I think that we discover about Christian growth from this little passage, from these couple verses right here. Hold out your your finger like this, number one. Sometimes I just have to act these things out to get it in my head. So everybody hold up number one. Number one, the purpose of our faith, of this whole Christianity thing, is going on to maturity. Number two, hold up two fingers. Number two, 
To be mature means that our lives look more and more like Jesus, right? And number three, hold up three fingers. Number three, growing in our faith is not optional, right? All means all. We're all called to follow Jesus and become like him. And there's a fancy word for that when we combine those three. There's kind of a fancy church word that we use, and it's called discipleship. Discipleship or being a disciple. So if you came up to me and said, John, give me a one-word answer for how we grow in our faith, discipleship. Being a disciple, that's it. But let's unpack that a little bit. In the New Testament, in the back third of your Bible, in the New Testament, uh, there is a word called methetes. Everybody say methetes. There it is. Now you're Greek scholars, all right? Methetes. And it literally means learner or Pupil. That's the closest translation that we have for the word disciple, to be a follower. That's where we get discipleship from. That word methetes, to be a follower, to be a disciple of somebody, is used 200, I'll get this right, 268 times in the New Testament. Wow! We should probably pay attention to that, right? And ironically, the word Christian is used how many times in the New Testament, do you think? Some of you are going, right, and losing your marker, right? Have you ever thought about that before? So maybe we should pay attention to methetes a little bit more and discover what methetes has to do with being a Christian. By the way, uh, the word religious person, how many times is that used in the New Testament? Zero. Zero. So maybe the goal isn't just to do it out of duty, obligation, Maybe we're called to something different. makes you stop and think. Christianity is a call to be a learner, a pupil, a disciple of Jesus. Thus, a disciple of Jesus is somebody who is apprenticing Jesus, who is reorienting, who's being a student of, reorienting every aspect of their life around him to become like him. Jesus is talking to his followers, his disciples, and he says it this way in Luke chapter 6, verse 40. And let's read this uh, verse together. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Luke chapter 6, verse 40. Let's read this together. The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. So think about it. A disciple of Jesus, then, is not measured necessarily by how much information you know or by how many groups or programs you attend, or how young or old or or inexperienced or experienced you might be, discipleship or spiritual growth is measured by one question. Does my life look more and more like the person of Jesus? Am I growing into maturity, attaining what Paul says back in Ephesians 4, what the fullness of Christ? He is our model. He is what we're trying to become. So what we're hearing here is that the invitation that all of us are being offered today is not to a snow globe Christianity, but to a kind of faith that we are invited to have a relationship, a daily relationship with the God of the universe, modeling our lives after his son through the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that's the Trinity. That's the invitation we're being offered. That's a little bit more exhilarating, I think, even than base jumping. Some of you are like, I'll do anything for Jesus. I just don't want to jump out of a plane, right? (laughs) Think about that, though. That's the invitation that we're being offered. 
So if we grow in our faith by becoming disciples of Jesus, it might be good to first understand how he did it with his own followers, right? That would be a good model. And for some of you that have taken our core class before, which a lot of you have, and and we're going to do it again this fall, and so there'll be another opportunity for that, this may sound familiar. And some of you might be thinking, gee whiz, John, why are we always talking about discipleship? Disciple this, disciple that, yada, yada, yada. How long are you going to preach about discipleship? Until all of us have reached the fullness of the measure of Christ. And I don't know about you, but I'm not there yet, right? Kim is. Andy has attained the full measure of Christ. But for the rest of us, I'd, I think we got a little bit of work to do, right? None of us are perfect because we're somewhere on there. I'm just kidding. They have a lot of room to grow. Um, <laughs> kidding. And we're going to stop preaching about discipleship when we've made disciples of all nations, which hasn't happened yet because we've got a lot of work left to do here in Des Moines, right? There's thousands of people that don't know Jesus and aren't connected to him, so our work is not done. So we're going to preach about that. Literally, until kingdom come, right? Until his kingdom comes. So when we look at the life of Jesus, when we look at the Gospels, there's three main ways that Jesus grew people's faith, that he discipled them. And there's three main ways. And the first one is information. Everybody say information. Information. Information or info. Jesus taught them about the kingdom, but it didn't end there. He went on and he imitated. Everybody say imitation. Imitation. That's the second way. Jesus gathered around him 12 disciples and he said, imitate my life. But it didn't end there. Last but not least, Jesus said, don't just look at my life. Go and live it out. Go do what you've seen me doing. In other words, innovation. Everybody say innovation. 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 And Jesus went through this process with his disciples over and over and over again. It It never stopped. He just kept doing that over and over. And so, Oftentimes what we do, when we read the Bible, we focus on what Jesus said, and rightly so. But at the fault of, we don't look at how Jesus lived, how he lived. And that's what we're going to do today. So let's start with information. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. It's in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John are the Gospels. And now, a lot of you, when you hear information, you're like, eh, that's not that thrilling. That's not that exhilarating. Unless... You are dying to hear good news. Then any good news is good news, especially when it comes to the kingdom. So Matthew chapter 5, Jesus' ministry is just beginning. And what is he doing here in Matthew chapter 5? Verse 1. He's teaching, right? He's conveying information. So we start at verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to a mountainside and he sat down. His, who came to him? His disciples, we've heard that before, came to him and he began to do what? Teach them. And he proceeds to give the Sermon on the Mount, which is the next few chapters of Matthew. So, a teacher to a student, a teacher to a pupil, a transfer of information. But, uh, when Jesus taught, when he gave the Sermon on the Mount, was he like in a big wood pulpit and preaching down over people in a big synagogue? No, where was he? Out in the middle of nowhere, probably a cow pasture or something like that. Probably smelled, right? It's up on a hill, giving good news to people that needed good news. Information about the kingdom. And Jesus taught a lot. But his teaching wasn't in a a classroom. That's not the kind of teacher he was. It was out and about. They'd walk around and he said, you know, the kingdom of God is kind of like a buried treasure in a field. The kingdom of God is, well, hey guys, come over here. It's it's, kind of like this mustard seed that... It's really small at first, and it grows up. You know, when when, when Jesus was eating with his disciples, he said, you guys see the salt 
That's kind of what you're supposed to be like in the kingdom. You're supposed to live a salty life. You see that ray of light that's coming through the window? That's who you're called to be as followers. Salt and light. Jesus' teaching, his information, took place not just in a classroom, but everywhere. Everywhere that he went. The kingdom is like this. The kingdom is like that. But for a lot of us, when we think about spiritual growth, unfortunately, the first thing that comes to our mind is that dark, kind of damp, smelly, like a locker room, uh, you know, little tiny Sunday school room in the church basement, right? And that's Sunday school, right? That's what growth is as a kid. And then maybe if you stuck with it, adult Sunday school, right? And none of that's bad. And a lot of you learned great information about Jesus. You grew in your knowledge of the scriptures and all of that. The problem is we live a snow globe kind of Christianity if we end right there and just stick to information. Information alone can't change people's lives. It's information when applied to your life that changes people's lives. Think about it this way. I was, I was doing some thinking this week back when I was a teenager. Does anybody remember learning to drive? Okay, any of you drive or do you all ride scooters? Okay, good. All right. So are any of you going through that right now with your kids? Okay, that's crazy. Not stressful at all time for your parents, I'm sure. Do you remember learning how to drive and you, just, you would do anything to get out there? Well, that was me. I was, I was 15. I think you get a provisional license. I don't know if it's this way in Iowa anymore. But, and then when you're 16, you get the full license. I wanted to drive so bad that I, memor- I, almost, I literally almost memorized the manual. Like I read that sucker so many times, and I aced the written test. I aced it. Didn't miss a single one. The problem was, at that time, if your birthday fell on a certain day, you had to take the dreaded driving test crank. You actually have to do it. You can't, just fill, you can't just fill in the blanks. You actually have to do it. And so there I am. I am so nervous because you're sitting in a driver's ed car next to a cop, right? Don't screw it up. Okay, so here we go. And I'm so nervous and I'm so flustered. Even though I knew all the information, when you put me behind the wheel, what did I do? I was so freaked out that we went on a quick turn and I didn't notice that there was a median there. I start driving up on the median and we're angled And the cop's going, what are you doing? And I go, I don't know. And she goes, you're driving on the median, right? And there's a stop sign coming up, and I swerve back in the road to avoid that. Like, what is going on? Flunked it. Completely flunked it. Not once, twice, right? Because I thought I could do it on my own. I knew the information. The problem was I never allowed myself to be apprenticed. I never allowed myself to have a mentor. How do you learn to drive? By watching somebody else that knows how to drive, or at least having them in the car. So I said, Dad, we're going to the parking lot, right? And we're going to learn how to drive this brown Subaru station wagon. Here we go, okay? So for the next three weeks, my dad is in the car, apprenticing. I'm apprenticing him in this. I'm imitating him And he's saying, stop, go, slow down, turn, back, stop, slow down, right? And it's over and over and over again. And that's how I learned. So that by the third time I took the driving test, but who's counting, right? I know how to drive now. By the third time I took the test, aced it. Because I took the time to innovate. And if you think about it, if you, if you, anywhere else in our lives besides our faith, if you say, I, I know all about something, I believe it, I know the information, 
and I'm going to teach it to other people, and I'm going to study it over and over, but you never apply it? Most cases, we call that hypocrisy. But for a lot of us in the church, we just call that normal. If it's so life-shattering, why does it stay here? Why does it stay in the snow globe? Jesus knew that all the information in the world about the kingdom was not going to fully stick, that it needed to be lived out before them. In other words, the disciples needed somebody they could imitate. Imitate a kingdom kind of life. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to take a look at how Jesus did this. This is just the chapter before, the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. Jesus knew from the start he couldn't make apprentices, he couldn't make disciples from a distance, He had to be with them. So we're going to start at verse 18. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. As Jesus walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. This doesn't sound like this venture with Jesus is going to be limited to information, right? Jesus is saying, let's go. I don't have a home. I'm homeless. Come walk with me, and we're just going to do life together. Okay? Pretty crazy invitation. Jesus says, I want you to follow me. In other words, I'm going to reproduce myself in you as you imitate me. Pretty bold claim. I want you to imitate everything I do. So think about it. If you wanted to become a a famous athlete, if you wanted to become a a world-class athlete, uh, artist or a, a master musician or something like that, how would you become that? Well, you would find a famous athlete or a, a famous musician or artist, and you would look at their life and say, I'm going to do all the practices and all the habits that they do to become like them. If I wanted to become uh, the best golfer in the world, if I wanted to be the next Tiger Woods, well, I wouldn't imitate his personal life, maybe his golf life, right? If I wanted to become the next Tiger Woods, what would I do to become like him? I'd just watch him on TV, right? No, probably the best thing would do to go and actually spend time with Tiger Woods. Not just for a day, but for a month, for a couple years, and do everything he does. I would eat right. I would be healthy. I would exercise. I would play golf every day, which wouldn't be a bad thing, right? I would be disciplined to reorient my life around that goal of becoming like him. So why would it be any different in our faith? I would, I, would, I would model what I want other people to see. Once I became a great golfer, I'd say, hey, come and learn from me. That's what Jesus asked us to do. The most amazing thing is that Jesus asked us to do this for one another. A lot of you are saying, well, I don't see Jesus walking around here today. I can't imitate him, Right? What did Jesus say? His very last words on earth. We read it just before the baptism. Therefore, go and make disciples. In other words, Jesus says, what I've done for you, now you do for others. Make disciples. Say and ask people, follow me as I follow Christ. Not because I'm perfect or have it all together, but if there's any area of my life that looks like Jesus, imitate that. And my question for you this morning is, who are you apprenticing these days? If that's how we grow in our, if that's a huge part of how we grow in our faith, who do you have that you're apprenticing? Or are you just behind the wheel trying to figure it out by yourself? Who's in the seat next to you? 
Who's calling the shots in your life? Who, who are you apprenticing? And my second question is, who are you pouring into? Not because you're perfect, but because it's the command. Go and make disciples. So it's really hard to make disciples if you're hanging out in your holy huddle all the time with disciples. There's nobody to make. We've got to get outside the bubble, get outside the snow globe, and start thinking beyond ourselves. No matter how unqualified you feel, never underestimate the power of imitation. Reminds me of a story last summer, uh, my wife Tiffany and I were dropping off our, our nephew for his first week ever at camp. And he was really excited, and Tiffany and I hadn't been back for a while. We spent a lot of summers there. I worked eight summers uh, at this camp, and so I, I was thinking back while I was there, man, I was such a dork when I was here. You know, like, those, you think back on your college years, and you think, I had it all figured out, right? I know everything there is to know about life by the age of 20, right? Uh, not so much. Um, and so there we were, and I'm thinking back about all the cabins I had of, of boys that hopefully I influenced well from third grade all the way to, to high school. And I think, man, I thought I knew it all, but I didn't. I didn't know diddly squat about the Bible. I didn't know that much about prayer. I was so immature. I didn't, I didn't have it all together. And I'm think, I just started thinking, you know, as I'm looking around the camp, I wonder if any of those campers that I had all eight summers, probably like over 200 campers, whatever happened to them? Like, did I screw them up? Are they all in insane asylums somewhere? Or, you know, what's, did, I, did I have any impact at all? And so we drop them off, and as we're leaving and we're pulling out the driveway, these two counselors that look to be in college stop us and say, hey, uh, you know, thanks for coming and all that. And, and one kind of peered into the car, because Tiffany was driving, he kind of looked at the other side and said, hey, are you John? And I go, yeah, like, do I know you? I don't, I don't really know you. And he said, yes, I know you. My name's Matt. You were my counselor when I was in third grade. And I go, you're like eight feet tall now. Like, what happened to you, right? And he's like, I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm in college. And I'm like, what, what are you doing here? And the reason I asked that is because I remember his cabin and they were a bunch of squirrels. Like that, I wondered that whole week. If they learned anything about Jesus, I hope that it means calmness. Peace be still, Right? They were a bunch of rugrats that week. I'm like, did they learn anything? Matt was in that cabin. And I go, well, what are you doing here? Like, duh, he works at camp. And he goes, I'm on the discipleship team this summer. I actually pour into counselors so that they can pour into all the kids. And I go, whoa. And he goes, yeah, I'm, I'm really involved in uh, our, our college ministry uh, at Iowa State. And, and, uh, and I just go, wow. I go, are you kidding me? I said, you remember me, Matt? And he goes, John, are you kidding me? That was the best summer of my life. For the first time in my life, because I was, I was watching your life, I understood for the first time that you could have passion in life and love Jesus. That you could find joy in Jesus. And he, he said, that week, I remember going home and talking to my mom, and I said, and Matt said, I told myself, when I, when I go to college, I want to be a counselor when I grow up. And I don't tell you that story to boost my ego, because trust me, there's not much of one, because I know myself a little bit too well for that. There's a lot of grace going on up here right now. Um... I tell you that <laughs> because God even used an immature college punk like me through the power of imitation. 
And I just wonder, beyond Bible camp, how many mats are out there waiting for somebody to pour into them? And maybe some of you are thinking, man, I'm just waiting for somebody to come to me. I, I, I need that. And the best part about this story with Matt is that it didn't end with him just imitating me that week. The best part of it is that Matt is already a better discipler of guys than I ever will be. And that's the point. That it doesn't end there, but I hope there's a whole bunch of little former third grade squirrels that are running around out there that are now discipling other guys because I jumped out of the plane and decided to work at Bible camp for a few summers. It doesn't have anything to do with me. I just said, follow me as I follow Christ. And that leads us to the third aspect, and that's innovation. It doesn't stop here, but to actually go, to take the training wheels off. Over and over again in the Gospels, Jesus says, just like Matt understood, it doesn't end here. Jesus says to the disciples, go and and pray and come back and we'll talk about it. Go and, and be hospital. Go cast out demons. Go visit people when they're sick. Go give food to the poor. Go and do that because you're imitating me. But don't just watch me do it. Go do it. And that's what a lot of you did yesterday, exactly what you did during Surf Saturday. And it was so amazing. I can't tell you how awesome it was to watch the church be the church, to hear stories of people being impacted, to see the, the joy in so many of you. <laughs> That, that only comes through serving. I don't know how you can have joy while you're cleaning bathrooms. You tell me that, right? Because maybe it's not like a happiness thing. Maybe it's a, a joy thing. You want to be around joyful people? Go serve. Get outside of yourself and start serving. For many of you, you experienced a brand new culture yesterday. You saw some things you've never seen before and it probably felt like jumping off a plane. <laughs> and learning to fly for the first time. But I have a feeling as I talk to so many of you, even though yesterday was like weird or confusing or like out of your comfort zone, at the end of the day, you were like, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I wouldn't trade that experience for anything. It was so worth it. And here's the thing. Yesterday never would have happened if it stops here. If you're just watching those of us on staff do it. Our job, as it says in Ephesians 4, is to equip God's people for works of service. Our job is not to have all the fun ourselves, but to invite you in and do that with us. In fact, Sir Saturday, this wouldn't happen every single week. If there weren't 30 to 40 people from top to bottom, every aspect of our setup and our teardown and the worship band and everything that goes into this, if they didn't go innovate every single week. And you know what's even better than what happened yesterday on Surf Saturday? Is when I start hearing these stories about many of you having your own Surf Saturdays. You're like, forget that. Surf Saturday? How about serve every day that ends in Y? Some of you will get that on the way home. You start doing it yourselves. You start inviting your neighbors to worship. You start serving your neighbors. You start praying for your coworkers because you know they're going through a difficult time. You don't need the church to put on training wheels for you. You just go do it. And you're experiencing the joy of doing that yourself because you're making it your lifestyle. It's just who you are because you're imitating Jesus who loved to hang out with the poor, who loved to find the people that don't have any friends and hang out with them and serve them. 
So over and over, Jesus took his disciples through this process. That's how he grew them. Maybe there's a clue in that to how we grow in our faith as well. So what I want you to do is take out your bulletin, and on the back, there's a little place for notes. And I want to leave you today with two questions that you maybe won't answer this morning, but I want you to answer them sometime this week and just process through it. Based on Jesus' model of discipleship, number one, I want you to write this down. Number one, what is God telling me? This is for everybody. It's an all play. Number one, what is God telling me? And number two, what will I do about it? What is God telling me and and what am I going to do about it? Because you got to take it and and apply it. Because if we just stop with today's service, then all I did was give you a bunch of information about discipleship and we stayed inside the snow globe. Jesus' call on your life (laughs) is to answer that question that only you and him can answer. I can't tell you what he's telling you. You need to process through that this week. For some of you, it's going to be growing in information. For some of you, it's finding somebody to imitate. And for some of you, it's going to be taking the training wheels off your faith and going and innovating. Just go do it. What's God telling you and what are you going to do about it? I'd invite you to stand with me.